Hey everyone, and welcome to tonight's episode of the 3AM Mystery Club. I'm Ro, and it is a Friday free-for-all, and I have for you a case that I am calling Stolen Babies. Now, tonight's episode is one I've been obsessed with for quite a while. Um, I've always been obsessed with bygone eras, especially the 1920s through the 1960s. The culture and aesthetic from those times has always fascinated me, especially the duality of how things looked versus how they really were. So when I think of like older people saying, oh, I miss the good old days, they miss the things they saw in movies and on TV. Like I feel like that reality gets remembered way more than the actual reality of things. And I like to uncover the actual reality of things, if that makes sense. So um, that brings uh, to point this case, um, the case of Georgia Tan, who is a, or was, I should say, a wealthy socialite and social worker who is often referred to as the mother of adoption. Tan was so charismatic and popular that she was coined the mother of adoption by media and is still referred to that as this day. Um, however, what no one knew or even thought to question was how Georgia Tan got her hands on all of these babies. She is responsible for bringing adoption to the mainstream. Prior to the 1930s, adoption was considered taboo. Um, no one talked about it. If you were a child who was orphaned or in a circumstance where your parents could not take care of you and you didn't have a relative willing to take you in, you're often sent to work farms, juvenile detention centers, institutions, or orphanages. Can cater to wealthy clients, uh, socialites, celebrities, and got ab ab adoptions in the public eye and sort of made it the popular thing to do from 1940s to the 50s. So we're going to cover this case. I am going to talk about some of her celebrity clientele, which is pretty surprising. And um, we're also going to talk about how she acquired these children, which is really sad. So without further ado, here is the case of Georgia Tan and the Stolen Babies. Georgia Tan was heralded as the mother of adoption, not because she invented it, but because she helped to popularize it. Prior to the 1940s, adoption was stigmatized and often done in complete secrecy. Orphan children who weren't fortunate enough to have relatives raise them were often raised in family foundling homes, in modern day lingo, that's an orphanage, institutions, or worse, in the worst cases, juvenile detention centers or mental health facilities. From the mid-1800s to the late 1920s, the phenomenon known as the orphan train was also a popular alternative to ship unwanted or older, quote, unadoptable children out of the crowded orphanages and into the Wild West. Officially, it was to teach older children a trade and the thinking is that they would thrive in the smaller communities and that the fresh air would be good for them. For most children, however, the reality was that they were actually used for free, hard labor, 
until they reached adulthood. So basically, this was a new form of, I hate to say it, but slavery. And while some children did find good homes, that was not the majority of the cases. So enter Georgia Tan. Georgia Tan was born in 1894 in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Her father, George Tan, was a judge. Georgia grew up in a bubble of privilege, and while she wanted to practice law and follow in her father's footsteps, the domineering judge forbade it, and she pursued a career in social work instead, which was a more acceptable career for a woman in her higher social class, because it would be seen as being that she would be a, a professional philanthropist. Tan's first job as a social worker was in a Mississippi orphanage where she was quickly fired for removing children from their homes without cause. During her career in Mississippi, Tan herself adopted a daughter in 1922, whom she named June. Tan also met a fellow worker at the home, a house mother named Ann Atwood. The two became close. While no one knows when their friendship developed into more when Georgia was fired from the Mississippi orphanage, she relocated to Memphis, Tennessee with her daughter, June, Ann Atwood, and Ann's own son. So rumors started that they were probably partners, and they actually were lifelong partners. And an important note to include here, um, especially as we get towards the end later on, Georgia Tan in the 1940s adopted the adult and Atwood. And this was important because it was a common practice among same-sex couples because if you adopted your partner, they then had rights that a spouse would typically have. Um, inheritance laws, funerary rights, uh, power of attorney and such. So while during their lifetime, it never came out that they were a couple. She did the common step of adopting Anne Atwood and leaving her all her assets and things. And the two lived together their entire life. So, you know, two plus two equals four. And um, it's just very important to include that because Anne also, not only was her partner, but becomes her number two in this uh, baby trafficking scheme. After being fired for dubious practices in Mississippi, Ann and company settled in Memphis, Tennessee. Thanks to her father's legal and political connections, Georgia's misconduct in Mississippi seemed to have no bearing in Tennessee, and she was quickly installed as the executive secretary of the Shelby County branch of the Tennessee Children's Home Society. Through aggressive tactics, Tan quickly took over the organization in 1924. She also started trafficking children at this time. Tan noticed that while Tennessee law was strict about charging for services during the adoption process, like if the child was in the home's care, like they would charge for um, paperwork processing or meals or medical expenses, which never got to be more than like seven to ten dollars. She noticed though that the state was more lenient and less scrutinizing if the adoptions took place outside of the state, meaning she could charge whatever she wanted 
and just say that it was a processing fee or a travel fee or a legal fee. And in this way, Tan catered to wealthy and famous clientele. 80% of her adoptions seem to have occurred in New York and California, though by her death in the 1950s, she had placed children in 48 states throughout the U.S. Records show that just between 1940 and 1950, over 3,000 children were placed in New York State and California alone. Here's where the mother of adoption tipped from benevolent social worker to sadistic child trafficker. Tan and her hand-chosen associates, deemed baby pickers, would go out into communities with poorer populations. Some of the baby pickers would target large families, often with one parent, and find, quote, the prettiest babies in the bunch, end quote, and offer medical care in the city. The families would agree, thinking these well-meaning social workers were there to help. Once the child was away from their parents, the pickers would inform the parents falsely that their child had died while, at that very same moment, a judge, under the influence of Tan, was illegally stripping the parents of their rights, paving the road for a smooth and private adoption. Tan herself would cruise areas in her luxury cars and offer children rides. When the children got in, they were never seen again. The few parents who tried to report Tan or hadn't believed their child had died while receiving medical care were often ignored by police and other law enforcement because Tan was a wealthy and revered social worker with connections and the people she kidnapped were poor and, quote, low class. Tan herself fully believed that the wealthy were more deserving of children than the poorer parents who loved them and grieved for them. While kidnapping and selling children to clientele like Joan Crawford is a heinous crime in itself, what Tan did while children were in her care awaiting adoption was far worse. Tan often destroyed records of the children who moved through her agency, falsified their history to make them more appealing to prospective parents, and did minimal background checks on adoptive homes. If an adoptive family found incorrect information and questioned Tan, she would threaten legal retaliation and also threatened to take the children back. Tan was abusive and neglectful to the children under her care. Reports are rampant with ac accusations of neglect, physical abuse, sexual abuse, and outright murder. In the 1930s, Memphis had the highest infant mortality rate in the United States, largely due to Tan, and that was just the reported deaths. The children were frequently sedated and put into care of untrained staff with questionable and criminal past. She has been reported, and I saw this on several media outlets and in several news articles, that she would often hire drug addicts, um, known child molesters and pedophiles to care for these children. And also, if children were deemed unadoptable or unattractive by TAN standards, um, they were allowed to die through malnutrition. Why did she hire those people? Because she could pay them less. Okay. Yeah, it was all about money. But she would let these children that she deemed unadoptable or unattractive die from starvation or dehydration. In the case of the infants that she thought were unattractive or too scrawny or cried too much, she would send them off to these foster homes, which also were uh, questionable homes. Uh, she didn't do background checks. She just, whoever would take her lowest bid on money-wise, she would farm these children out. 
were often found to have let these children just die from neglect. In a few cases, um, babies were found to have been left out in the sun and baked to death. Wow, that is very disturbing. And what is sadder is authorities, the police, knew about this, but because she was the daughter of a judge and she was wealthy, she was friends with the mayor and she was friends with uh, a local judge that often was the one who stripped the, the parents of these of their rights to these children illegally, the police would just ignore it. They'd say, oh, we'll look into it, and they never would. That's, you know, good old 1930s, 1940s, good old days justice there. Yeah, the people that are talking about the good old days are definitely talking about the movies, or I hope they are. Yeah. Um, some of Tan's victims were buried in a local cemetery on a small lot. So this was like a very small like what you would call a double lot nowadays where, you know, like you and your partner would be buried or something like that. Um, and in a mass grave, she buried 19 victims. She did not give them names or headstones. She just put in a notebook, like a marker. It said like baby Joseph, baby Jean. And that was it. That was, those were the only deaths that she reported to have buried. It is believed she is responsible for over 500 children's deaths. They don't know where those bodies are. So in 1950, the governor of Tennessee, Gordon Browning, was newly elected and he launched an investigation into the Tennessee Children's Welfare Society and TAN. Unfortunately, TAN was never brought to justice because three days before the state's attorney filed charges against her, she died of untreated uterine cancer, which is kind of karmic if you think about it. You are the mother of adoption. You have murdered over 500 children. Your uterus turns on you and kills you. Yeah, that's a very ironic way for her to die. Yeah. So that was in September of 1950. In December of 1950, the home was permanently closed. Tan is estimated to have stolen over 5,000 children. The states of New York and California vowed to take action in the aftermath of the Tennessee case, but no adoptions were investigated and no children were ever restored to their rightful parents. As a result of this case, adoption laws and reform occurred nationwide. In 1979, Tennessee adopted le legislation requiring the state to assist siblings trying to locate one another, while a bill allowing the same action to birth parents failed. As I mentioned earlier, Georgia Tan made adoption a popular and more acceptable practice by catering to celebrities and wealthy clients. Some of her most notable clients were Joan Crawford, her twins, Cindy and Kathy, the ones you know that got left in the will, were uh, Tan babies. Former New York Governor Herbert Lehman, who adopted from Tan and conveniently signed a law stealing New York's birth certificates in 1935. Um, there are conflicting reports on this. Um, some say that it was his parents who were the clients, not him, but either way, he was involved with Tan babies somehow, and then he conven conveniently signed this very strict 
law sealing birth certificates in New York so that you can't find out who your your uh, biological parents are if you're adopted. Famous writer Pearl S. Buck and West Virginia native, adopted from Tan. Wrestler Ric Flair has noted in his autobiography that he was a Tan baby. And in several other reports, um, aside from Pearl Buck, um, actress Lana Turner and possibly actress Esther Williams have also adopted Tan babies. It should be noted that the adoptive parents were also lied to. Um, Tan falsified children's histories, uh, backstories, histories, and sometimes their ages. She even created false birth certificates and the exorbitant amounts she charged were explained away as medical care, legal fees, and paperwork processing fees. Tan sometimes charged couples hundreds of dollars for background checks, and once she got the money, she would just disappear. Tan made millions off her baby trafficking scheme and left thousands of families broken forever. If you'd like to know more, there is tons of media and books to check out. For this episode, I used several articles online, our favorite source material, Unsolved Mysteries, uh, the original series with Robert Stack, Deadly Women on the ID channel, and the book, The Baby Thief by Barbara Bysance Raymond. And if you want a completely fictional, but over the top camp and drama account, check out the 1993 TV movie, Stolen Babies, starring Mary Tyler Moore as Georgia Tan. So that is the case of the stolen babies. And while I'd like to say that is the only instance of baby trafficking, that is not the case. There are many like Georgia Tan, they just haven't been caught yet, or they weren't as prolific in their baby trafficking as Georgia Tan. But there are, this went on a lot during this time. And I mean, not to be political or too political, but it has even happened in modern times. Um, you know, with the border, uh, there are cases where children have been taken from their parents and adopted out or put into foster care and lost. Um, so this, this is not a new epidemic. This is not a new thing. It's always existed. But Georgia Tan is probably the most famous in the United States. Um, and she is also, if they could ever find proof that she had those 500 babies murdered, she would also be the most pro prolific female serial killer of all time. I can't believe I haven't heard of her before or heard of this, especially with the depictions in the media that you mentioned. Right. I know. It's crazy. Um, I stumbled on her because I watched a documentary, not about her, but about a doctor in Alabama who was doing something similar. Like he would tell the mothers that their babies had died in childbirth or that their sick babies didn't make it, that kind of thing. And then he would sell them to wealthy people in the tri-state area. And I just kind of got, you know, in that rabbit hole as you do. And I found her and I was like, oh, and then I saw the Joan Crawford, Esther Williams, Pearl S. Buck, 
were all related to her her through this baby trafficking scam and I was like oh my gosh um, oh and it should be noted that first lady Eleanor Roosevelt at the time before all this came out actually consulted Georgia Tan on children's rights and adoption rights in the United States yikes yeah yikes doesn't sound like the person to consult right and she kept this so under wraps that in 1950, when charges were brought against her, people didn't believe it. Like they thought this governor was like on a witch hunt until all this evidence was drummed up by the state's attorney general to prove that, yeah, this woman did this. What I think is so messed up about it and so strange is that this person, this this weird person is the is responsible for normalizing adoption in America. Right, right. And um, certain things like falsifying birth certificates and stuff did not get reformed until the 70s and 80s, like because they saw how successful she was with it to make babies more appealing. A lot of agencies would still do that. Like it's it's really crazy to me. What and I don't, I'll, I'll go, go ahead. ahead. You go ahead. What I don't understand is, okay, so if the babies were like ugly or whatever, she would just let them die. Like, why did she, did she, why did she, why did she have so many babies that she wasn't going to do anything with? So like she had this army of like baby pickers is what she called them that would just kind of go out and snatch babies and then bring them to her and be like, is this one viable? Is this one viable? And, oh. and to sort of like, in terms of stock, like, you know, to keep her stock piled with babies. And then she'd be like, well, that one cries too much. Nobody's going to want it. That one looks really scrawny or that one's ugly. Wow. That's like a backyard dog breeder. Like, sorry, this dog didn't turn out very well. We're going to just go dump it on a country road. Ugh. Right. It's like, oh, this puppy isn't marked to breed standard. Let's, let's kick it out. Yeah. Man. And what really is sad, especially watching the Unsolved Mysteries episode on this, because they talked to the tan babies who were living. Most of them are probably dead now because this aired in 1989 and they were already middle aged to their like between 50 and 65, 70 already in the 80s. So I doubt very few are living now, but it was so sad because some of them got to meet their mothers finally and others their mother would have just died like right before they met them and these mothers had not wanted to give up their children and they were actually from very loving homes who just had the misfortune of being born on the wrong side of the tracks as it were or not being wealthy to Georgia Tan standards like if she deemed you from the wrong side of the tracks or if your kid was kind of dirty from playing outside she just thought oh you're trash you don't deserve this baby when in reality these people loved their babies they just had fallen on hard times and thought the government was going to help them get medical care or vaccinations or food or something like that like that's how she would trick these people i want to know if um if uh, if Joan Crawford just took what she gave her or she was like, no, let me have a kid that looks like this or whatever. 
Now, I have read a bunch of Joan Crawford biographies, and she actually had her agent scour the country for babies that looked a certain way. Like, she wanted Chris and Christina to be blonde hair and blue eyed. She wanted these babies to be twins, and she said she wanted twin girls. She wanted them to look like her. And a lot, for a long time, they didn't know if the twins were actually twins because of Georgia Tan's practices. For all they knew, they could have just smushed two babies together and said, oh, these are twins. Right. Uh, but finally, in the follow-up, when I was reading on some of the Tan babies, Joan Crawford's twins actually sought Tennessee's help with that sibling act. And were able to find their biological father, and it turned out they were twins. And oh, wow. he, he was um, ended up being a widower, and he didn't know how to. You know, he men in the forties, help. You know, were not hands on with baby care, and then you have to add twins to that. He just thought he was giving them to a nursery until they were weaned, essentially, and then he could have them back. And that was not the case. I was going to say at least they went to a good home, but I mean, maybe they, I mean, that, that probably, that was a rich home, but maybe not a good home. Right. Well, and then it said, it seems like Joan favored the twins. I mean, not that they got much better treatment, but they at least got left in the will. Yeah. They were, they weren't Christina. 